Hi Rod, we're at ZeroCon in London. It's amazing. It's a, I think it's the first time we've done the Rod and Gary show um, in the same location. You'll far better look at it in real life. <laughs> yeah, and you won't see, and I won't see all the yawning that you do when I'm talking and boring everybody. It's, uh... Yeah, I'm usually uh, playing Minesweeper while we're talking. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, so we've, uh, we've done ZeroCon in London now for five years, this is the fifth one. So we started off um, with a couple hundred people and, uh, and we have over 2,000 people here for two days in London, which, and I was chatting with a whole bunch of people last night. It's a prospect of, do you want to go to an accounting conference? And usually people say, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. But actually, this is probably as far removed from a traditional accounting conference as you get. And lots of incredible innovation and app partners are surrounded by. We have, I think, 65, 66 app solutions, obviously a lot of stuff that we're doing. Some really outstanding uh, thought leadership from some external speakers. Um, and lots of forward-thinking accountants and bookkeepers and, and had a bit of a party last night, so yeah, it's no, been a great it's, event. It's just amazing, you know, when we, when we first thought about doing um, our first ZeroCon, we thought, you know, let's do a Zero conference, and at the time, our Comic Cons were very popular, so we said, we'll call it ZeroCon, and, you know, one day it'll be in multiple countries and over multiple days, and it won't be about us, it'll be about, you know, all of the ecosystem partners, and there'll be great international speakers, so... Um, you know, we, I just came back from um, Melbourne. We had 3,300 there, and then to come to the UK and 2,000 accountants—it's just unreal. So it's pretty exciting. And you know, what I'm so proud about is um, you know all of the add-on and ecosystem partners, seeing how much they've been growing, and this the capability of the solutions. So a couple of really big highlights for me, and you know what we've been talking about is you know the business strategy of what we've been doing. Um, you know, we know that in the accounting industry, it's about winning accountants and making them more effective. So something we did, um, you know, 12 months ago, we started talking about our Zero HQ open practice platform. And over the last um, year, we've been working with, you know, nine or 10 best of breed accountant side applications. And we sat down with them and we said, you know, what are the sort of common components? You know, how do we have a common systems of record and got that architecture right? And then we've seen um, all the companies are collaborating to have this integrated suite of tools. And it's so powerful, you know, working together as a team, not as a traditional vendor where you want to own everything, where you actually work and you create opportunities for other companies. It means we can really respond to anything that happens in the market. And if we see any new innovations, we can bring them in like Boomer, our new marketing tool. Or if we see any gaps that we're not good at, we can go and find some partners to bring in. So. To me, that's one of the uh, really exciting things is making that open practice platform real and showing the power of having an open business where you really actively use your ecosystem. I think um, you're right. One of the uh, themes yesterday that really resonates with me is this idea that uh, now we're 10 or 15 years into the real cloud um, world. I mean, so Hotmail was 1996, 97, and technically was... Um, what we'd call back then an application service provider. But that, so the idea of running software in a browser is not new, but it didn't really take hold until about 10, 12 years ago. And, and the first part of that journey was about just getting equity and parity with um, what people were using on their desktops. And I think that well, clearly was a necessary thing for us to do, but it also wasn't obvious to people what the opportunity for the cloud really was. It looked like there was just a, a slightly more contemporary, more flexible, mobile alternative to desktop software. But I think what we've seen in the last couple of years 
is this openness of integration with banks and with pension providers here, with some of the other practice software vendors that we've been working with over the last couple of years, with obviously all of the ecosystem providers. And I think what that's actually doing is it's completely re-architecting the software industry on different rules and on, on a different blueprint where openness and collaboration and connectivity are the real value that people get. It's no longer about these walled gardens of suites and you have to buy one thing from, uh, sorry, everything from one vendor. Um, and I think that is going to have a significant impact on not just the way that technology works and the, the efficiency of that, but the, the number of people that still have yet to adopt proper systems of record is still low, but it's growing quickly now. I think if you roll forward 10 years, this openness will drive, if not complete and universal adoption of technology by business, then significantly, uh, with, with many factors greater than we ever saw with desktop software. Yeah, and um, I think this where, where the UK is so exciting for us being outside of the UK, because the um, the really good regulation that's coming in, you know, making, ta making tax digital, which over time will get all sm small businesses online for the, really for their own benefit, but also the um, revised payment services directive, PSD2, which means that banks have to open up their APIs. So it's so fascinating talking to UK banks. They're not kind of still in that debate about whether we should be open or not. They just have to get on with it. And already I think you can see the realization it's gonna be great for their business and these amazing partnerships that they're doing. So I find it really exciting working with some of the big UK financial institutions because they're, they're already on that, on that way of how do you build um, combined customer experiences across a whole lot of vendors, even you know large um, actors like themselves and new small innovative players. And I think in a way it's almost like the century from a technology perspective has just begun. I mean, so for, for the, what we're now 2017, so for the first 10 or 15 years, it was still largely the old paradigm. It was 1980s architecture, 1990s architecture. And it's taken us a while to become habituated with this new world of the web. And all of that means, not just from a usefulness perspective, but security and fraud and everything else. And what's happening now, um, particularly around the areas of data, data privacy and fraud, and particularly in finance, is that, yeah, we, we were probably collectively really naive 20 years ago about this thing called the internet. It was great, oh, it was really useful when you could access things remotely, you could buy books off Amazon. But actually, we now need to rework many of the rules and many of the ways we think about how we do things, how we handle data, taking security seriously, and we're seeing that in banks. But So I, I think that it's kind of almost a, a fundamental rewiring of how we apply technology, both from a social perspective, but also in business as well. Yeah. And I loved your, um, the Bill Gates quote you used yesterday, it's one of my favorite ones. So which one was that? So we, we always overestimate the amount of change we'll see in two years and underestimate change over a 10-year timeline. Yeah, just brilliant, isn't it? Yeah. Cool, so, um, you know, so Zericon's going well. What else is um, spinning your wheels? Uh, we've had, a, since we last chatted, we've seen the, the, the new iPhone X launch. You're buying one, I guess? Uh, probably, do you know what? I, I kind of feel like, like professionally, um, as a member of like the uh, International Association of Nerds, I kind of have to buy one. It's in the charter, I just have to do that. But I'm not, I don't really find I'm counting down the days. Yeah. I'm not excited about it. Um, I kind of felt, well, I'll, I'll get one, but um, at previous releases, so I remember the, the big release of the, um, the iPhone 4, that was a really exciting step forward. Um, I think the iPhone 8 looks just like, and they have to do it because they're a company and lots of people will buy them and, and therefore Apple have a, an obligation to sell the iPhone 8, but it's really just an iPhone 7S. 
Yeah. And, and it's the end of the line for that, that generation, that family tree of iteration on that kind of black triangle, that black, uh, maybe they should have done a triangle, the black rectangle. Yeah. <laughs> maybe I've just called it, maybe triangular phones of the future. Um, but I, I have some sympathy, not much, because they make lots of money, but some sympathy for Apple because they just can't continue. How much more improvement can they bring to that original iPhone concept? They yeah. had to move it onto something different. And so they're in this kind of difficult phase where they're, they now have something like seven or eight different iPhones, which is really on Apple. You remember I mean? they've got from the 5 SE, they've got the 6S, I think, still. They've got the 7, they've got like two versions of them, two versions of the 8, and, and now the X. And so there are more phones than ever, which just seems really messy from Apple's perspective, but they'll sell them anyway, so they might as well, they might as well have them. Um, and, and I'm kind of, do you know what? I, I've, got, I've, got, I've got a 7 Plus. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to get the new one, but I could see me skipping a generation and wait for the, the X2 or whatever they call next year. Yeah, well, while we've been doing Xericon overnight, the Google hardware keynote came out, and they had some interesting stuff. They had their new, um, their version of AirPods. They had a, a wire connecting them too, but uh, because they have all this, they've taken a real, a, a different approach to machine learning than um, Apple has over the last five years, and I think Apple really got this wrong. So Apple um, became all about privacy, which is obviously an important thing, but Google went the other way and they said, look, if you trust us with your data, we'll do some magical things. So these new earbuds they have actually do real-time translation of people that you're talking to, which is pretty amazing. And I think one of the quotes I picked out last night, they do see the phone as just this black glass rectangle now, and they are doing, they have a much more opportunity to do magical things with software. So uh, what they're saying is their cameras are even, their, their photos are even better than the iPhone 8 because they have less sensors, but they're able to use software and machine learning on the phone to do some cool things. So I think we're seeing this kind of tactical difference. And I'm, you know, I always get sort of Android curious every couple of years. The only thing that's holding me back is, um, is photos. I've, you know, already moved music to Spotify. Um, and uh, I've got most of my things. I miss iMessage. I like iMessage. I don't understand why Apple didn't do uh, an Android version of iMessage and own that because it's very easy. You know, that the, the pain would be moving the family to WhatsApp. But again, that would be like, you know, just an hour and we'd do that. Um, but if, um, it's fascinating that these big companies, though, still don't really, they aren't really user-centric. Like if I was Google, um, I would do my user surveys and, and work out very quickly that probably photos is the scariest thing to move. And for me, I've got, you know, um, 10 years of digital photos are all in albums, and I want to know uh, how it works, you know, and the, the, uh, how I understand it works at the moment is you've got to somehow tell um, iPhoto uh, to pull all my photos down locally, that's going to take three days, then get their uploader and upload those, which is going to take another three days, and then um, I don't know if albums move across, so... I'm nervous about changing, and uh, if they did that, all the friction would be gone. So, yeah, Android curious, probably get an iPhone 8. I'm just really annoyed there weren't any black AirPods. Do you know what's interesting, though, is that there's been so much... Um, everybody's talking about what Google are doing, what Facebook is doing, what Apple is doing, um, and nobody's really thinking about Microsoft lately. And what's happening is that since the attention has come off Microsoft, and Nadella has been in role, Satya Nadella has been CEO for three years now, and obviously he's um, taken a while to kind of pick up where, where Steve Ballmer left off and reconfigure that. But almost quietly in the background, while nobody has been looking, Microsoft, I think, has done an amazing 
transformation job. I mean, so their market cap's ridiculous compared with what it was three or four years ago, which is only one measure of success. But every time I, I, I um, speak to somebody from Microsoft, it feels like a different company. I, I mean, I, I left Microsoft to get on board with Zero eight and a bit years ago, and so I know Microsoft quite well as an ex-employee. And I think it's a very different organization to what it was 10 years ago, and possibly even five years ago. And I find that really encouraging, because I think Apple and Google and Facebook and you know, that whole kind of, um, um, that, that whole kind of uh, cartel almost of, of innovation needs another challenger. And Microsoft's voice has been absent. They've been absent on mobile disastrously. So um, they've been caught napping on operating system uh, deployment and development. And I, and I have, I have I don't, a bit of an outside bet that in a, a year from now, we might be talking about Microsoft being back at the table with some really innovative thinking around machine learning and AI because the, 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 the spotlight's been off them. And whilst that's been happening, I think they've, I think Nadella has done an incredible job of quietly re-engineering the whole company. Yeah, and you know some of the coolest hardware innovation we've seen has come from Microsoft in the last year. But I think you know I'm certainly still burnt from my experiences 10 years ago. So I'm, um, you know, probably got to go a little bit further now. But you know, I have to tell you, I'm pretty disappointed with what I'm seeing from Apple. The only thing that I'm kind of excited about hardware-wise is the new black iMac, but it's not going to be touchscreen. You know, they still don't have a monitor. I still can't connect a 12-inch MacBook Pro to any any of their monitors. So, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting world, and and um, I'm glad you brought up the Microsoft stuff because um, we know that it's competition that uh, you know fixes things like this. Hey, the other one I wanted to really catch up because a lot of people talk about it is um, Bitcoin and blockchain, and um, I've been kind of down on it and. Uh, uh, yet, uh, a lot of you know very experienced and senior people I've talked about um, have been talking about both things. So, just wanted to sort of go through my views and see what your thoughts. So, on um, on Bitcoin, we're seeing this um, really interesting upside based on uh, scarcity, and uh, so the price is going up. So, a lot of very uh, wealthy people I I knew, wealthy tech people, um, when Bitcoin sort of started to be talked about, they just put a little bit of money money in it. And they've made a fortune, um, fortune through it. Uh, but I, I still don't think that cryptocurrencies really are something that are going to um, gain a whole lot of traction. And that's because we've spent a lot of time, um, you know, with government organisations. And our view is even more so now with the surveillance culture that if uh, that governments are not going to allow the deregulation of currency. So I think Bitcoin's tied up with that idea around you know all those those really nice feelings about the open internet and all of those things, but. Uh, commercially and from a government point of view, if anything gets to scale, I think it'll be sort of, um, I think it'll end up closing. So I, I don't really see at the Bitcoin level um, a huge upside, but I get how people in the short term are making money out of it. But blockchains, um, I've done a lot more thinking about that because a lot of people I respect are all into it. And um, kind of my thoughts uh, crystallize with an a A16Z podcast. Um, so. You know, we're a pretty big actor now. We have a lot of centralized data. And what I've uh, found is if you're a centralized actor, you're far more motivated to keep things under your control. And a lot of uh, networks actually require a strong actor to make things happen. So as we you know, have a lot of data uh, held centrally, it's far easier for us to uh, drive centralized type applications. And what seems to be the, the perfect application for blockchain 
is where you have equivalency of networks. You've got multiple strong actors where there's no one central player that's driving things forward. So where I am seeing a lot of opportunity is like um, uh, um, uh, in financial transactions, um, uh, settlement type applications. And we've been looking at a few security things where where, where banks may not want to give seed control of their data, but uh, be able to work at a peer level with a bunch of other banks and there's some really fertile ground. So I think we've now finally found a few really good applications where we can start uh, experimenting with blockchain. And um, uh, yeah, I think that the, the, the key thing is there's got to be this equivalency of network power. So multiple strong actors are motivated to work together. If you have a single strong actor model, that tends to uh, uh, suit centralized apps. I think so, I, and um, you know, it, it's easier to think of blockchain and distributed ledger technology as this solution looking for a problem, and that's often in, in, in technological history been a bit of a put down. It's like, well, not really necessary, nobody's asking for it, why would you do that? I think I've flipped my thinking on it, and um, I think that's actually what it is. I think. The, the, we haven't invented the problems yet that blockchain is going to solve because the world is still largely not digital. The more we connect systems, networks, communities, customers, organizations together in a digital way, I think there will be an, a, a growing abundance of problems that blockchain and modern technologies like that and distributed, distributed ledger technologies will actually fix. And so it is, and that is, so therefore it is a solution looking for a problem. We just haven't invented the problems yet, but I think we will do. And I think the more, the bigger we get into this, and it's like anything else. And we start off building browser software, and you think, well, it's like a, a, a it's like a desktop app, but it runs on a web browser, and that's convenient. And then ten years down the line, you go, it's so much bigger than that. And so I think the more we get into this new world that we're building out of a lot of the stuff we spoke about earlier and re-architecting the way that data flows and the way that contracts are done and the way that everything's done, I think actually um, technologies, whether it's cryptocurrency or blockchain or or, or associated distributed ledger technologies, will become um, really important. And, And so I think it is a technology looking, a solution looking for a problem uh, we just haven't invented the problems yet, but I think we will. Yeah, and I think we're just starting to get a peek of it with some of the security stuff that we're playing with at the moment. Hey, forgot to mention Watch 3, a cellular watch. What do you think of that? Well, I've got the Watch 2, um, and uh, I'm, I, I'm not rushing out to buy one with, uh, with a, a, a cellular radio in it anytime soon. I thought it was really interesting. Uh, we, were, we were having a conversation about it in the, in the office when, uh, when the launch uh, video was up. And uh, they actually, on the Apple keynote, they cut to um, uh, an Apple employee and she was uh, paddleboarding on a lake. Um, and, and she could hear really clearly and, and, and you could hear what she was saying and everything else, and she was speaking and having this call on her wrist. You wonder and, if they had um, to be on a lake. Well, that's the yeah. point we made. So we, we said, how many, so they must have started with a really long list of activities that they could be doing <laughs> that meant your, your arm was stationary, so swimming wouldn't work. Yep. Uh, sea wouldn't work because it might be too windy and the, and the noise of the waves breaking. And so we, we kind of identified that it's the ideal solution for people that paddleboard on lakes. Yeah. Um, but actually, that's a pretty narrow use case. I was actually super interested because um, uh, we're in London at the moment and I brought uh, my three kids up and my nine-year-old, I really didn't want to have a phone, but I wanted to track her just in case, you know, you're, the horrible scenario would be you're on the tube and it's a bit crowded and she's outside the door and it closes. So um, I, I kind of like the scenario of the kid phone, 
um, where you kind of have the emergency locator beeping, you can text them. But I think it's still very much a tethered device and kind of the next generation may be untethered, which would be pretty cool. Yeah, so I'm happy with my Series 2 because I, I, I never go anywhere. Uh, like maybe the sauna or, 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 or for a swim at the gym or something and I'll leave my phone in the locker. But I think I've got different priorities if I need to be reachable on phone calls while I'm swimming or... I'm still struggling with it. I do love my nice uh, watches and I wish they'd do a uh, thing that went like on the back of the watch band, which is actually far more, the back of the wrist is a far more natural thing where you can have a little side glance to see what's going on on your wrist. Um, I think that the either answer is that or you wear two watches, which I think would be weird. I think I, I think I came up with that idea. I think I called it the flip strap, and yeah. you have one on either side, but... I, well, you I, didn't meet the internet, so... I, I, that and yeah. that, yeah, yeah. Very good, hey, great to see you in person. And uh, it's been an awesome show. Congratulations on what you guys have achieved in the UK. It's just unreal. And uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks, Rod.